Well, it's a joy to be with you all this evening. Please join me in opening God's word together. We'll be continuing in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. We'll be closing out John 1 tonight. Feels feels like we've been in John for quite some time already, but we're only just now finishing chapter 1. But that's a good thing, going through the word of God slowly. So once again, John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51, and if you'd please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Starting in verse 43. On the next day, he, Jesus, desired to go into Galilee, and he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said about him, Behold, truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, From where do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. (laughs) Bye, son. (laughs) He hears me talk all day. So we come to day four in John's narrative of the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and he's continuing to make his first disciples. These verses are similar in a lot of ways to last week's passage. Uh, Both passages begin with a proclamation about Jesus or some command to follow him. In both passages, the news about Jesus is spread from one person to another. And both passages have Jesus revealing himself in some way to his disciples. And that's Jesus' M.O. He reveals himself to the people that he has called to himself. Christianity is fundamentally a religion of revelation. Jesus is putting himself out there for the world to see. In this passage, he's making himself known personally to these men. He's right in front of them. And to us, he reveals himself through his word, the Bible. And we become disciples of Jesus Christ by responding to his revelation with faith. And that's why John wrote his gospel in the first place that by showing Jesus to the world, many might believe, and by believing, they might have life in his name. So tonight, you're going to see Jesus revealing himself to two more men, Philip and Nathaniel. And Jesus is going to reveal himself in a way to Nathaniel specifically that causes him to believe. The first person in the Gospel of John who is said to believe. So then there's a lot to cover So let's go to the text. 
Beginning in verse 43, look there with me now. On the next day, he, again, that's Jesus, desired to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all begin their narratives of Jesus' ministry with Jesus calling his first disciples. And those disciples are always uh, Andrew and Simon Peter, his brother. And then these two are are followed closely by Matthew, the tax collector. And then, not long after, the authors each give a list of the 12 men, the 12 apostles, who comprised Jesus' inner circle. And John's gospel, as we see here, is taking a similar path, with Andrew and Peter being the first of Jesus' disciples. But in our text for this evening, we meet another one of the twelve, Philip. The next day, the day after Jesus spends some time with Andrew and Peter, he has the desire to go into Galilee. And there in Galilee, he finds Philip. Now, is this some accidental finding? Did Jesus bump into Philip in a Galilean marketplace and decide, hey, this guy looks like an ideal disciple? Hey, you! Follow me. Well, perhaps to Philip, it seemed a chance meeting, but God, as we know, doesn't do things by chance. God is very deliberate in how he calls people to himself. Jesus is the one who came to seek and to save the lost. He came for the people who the Father gave to him, as we will see in John 6. Jesus found Philip because Jesus was searching for Philip. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a parable of a woman who lost one of her coins. She started out with 10, but she found that she had lost one. So she lit a lamp, she swept the house, and she searched carefully until she found it. And this parable, along with the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the prodigal son, illustrate God's intentionality in seeking and saving his people. No, this meeting with Philip was no accident. Jesus wanted to seek him out specifically. So what do we know about Philip? Well, from verse 44, we know that he's connected in some way to Andrew and Peter. They're both from the same city, Bethsaida. Uh, In the lists of Christ's disciples that we see in the synoptic gospels, he's placed fifth between John and Bartholomew. And one commentator describes Philip as being perfectly ordinary. He appears three more times in John, and in two of those times, he gets confused or he misunderstands something that Jesus has said. And probably the prime example of this is John fourteen seven, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, if you have come to know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. So far, so good. But here comes sweet Philip. Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. It's a swing and a miss from the apostle. So Jesus has to repeat himself. Have I been with you all so long, and have you not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. For me, it's comforting to read stuff like that in Scripture because it means that Jesus came 
for the perfectly ordinary. He came seeking the smelly fishermen of the world, the tax collectors and the sinners. He came seeking you, Christian. The reason that you have faith in Christ is because Christ searched you out. We've often sung the words of that great hymn together, The Church's One Foundation. From heaven, he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood, he bought her, and for her life, he died. And when Jesus seeks you out, he says to you what he said to Philip, follow me, follow me. Sign away your life to me. Give up the world for my sake. Hear my words and obey them. Turn from your sin and have faith in me. Receive the forgiveness of your sins from me. Imitate my character. Go and bring others to me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Be willing to die for me. This is what it means to follow Jesus. But did Philip know anything about that? No, not yet at least, not at this point. This is just the beginning. We don't know what the rest of that conversation with Jesus looked like, but we do know that he felt the undeniable urge to tell someone about it. He just had to go talk to someone about this. So he goes to find his buddy, Nathaniel. Verse 45, Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Jesus intentionally sought out Philip, and now Philip goes to intentionally seek out his friend Nathanael. And he's bursting with this news. You're never going to believe it, he says. We found the one whom the scriptures point to. This parallels the conversation that Andrew had with his brother, Peter, just a few verses before. Hey, Peter, guess what? We found the Messiah. And remember, these guys are good Jews. They were raised on the law and the prophets. That was their bread and butter. They were told to expect the Messiah's coming, and their Bible foretold him. They knew passages like Genesis 49, verse 10, which is a passage from the Torah, the law, where Jacob blesses his son, Judah, and says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him, Shiloh, shall be the obedience of all the peoples. Shiloh, this name Shiloh, was one of the names given to the Messiah. And it was understood that he would come from the tribe of Judah. And wouldn't you know it, later prophecies foretold the same thing. Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from everlasting from the ancient days. How did Philip come to this conclusion? We don't know. Scripture doesn't say. But Jesus revealed himself in some way to Philip so that Philip became convinced that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And he couldn't just keep quiet about that. He had to share this news. Now today, information travels across the globe in a matter of milliseconds. Can you imagine if Jesus' ministry began in 2019? The whole world would know about it in a matter of days, if not hours. News media would hang on to and probably twist his every word. 
His miracles would be live-streamed on TikTok. Perish the thought. But God sent his son into the world at a time when the most effective form of communication was word of mouth. Good old word of mouth. John the Baptist, he told his disciples about Jesus. One of those disciples told his brother. Jesus told Nathaniel, excuse me, Philip about himself. And then Philip went to tell Nathaniel. As Chris mentioned last week, this movement had humble beginnings. It wasn't live-streamed on television for the world to see. No one even knew about these four or five guys and their leader. Now, Nathaniel. We don't really know who Nathaniel is. John 21 says that he is from Cana in Galilee, which is where Jesus may have met him. It's where Jesus would go on to perform his first public miracle in John chapter 2. But beyond that, We don't really know much about the guy. Some like to speculate and say that Nathaniel is the same person as Bartholomew, since Philip and Bartholomew are often named together in the lists of the apostles. Uh, Others say, I don't know where they get this, but Nathaniel is the same person as the apostle Matthew. But there's really no credible evidence for either option. Besides, Jesus had other disciples aside from the core 12, and Nathaniel appears to be one of those disciples. Again, just another ordinary guy. So Philip goes to Nathaniel, and he tells Nathaniel that the Messiah, foretold by the Hebrew Scriptures, is that guy over there, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now in first century Palestine, this is how you identified someone. You would give their hometown, and then you would give their father's name. And some commentators will charge Philip with error here because he says that Jesus is from Nazareth instead of Bethlehem and that his father is Joseph instead of Holy God. I say, yes, how dare Philip lack an astute biblical and theological knowledge of the Son of God a mere five minutes after meeting him. Philip didn't know all the details, not yet, and he couldn't have. But he knew enough. Plus, he wasn't entirely wrong. Jesus did indeed grow up in Nazareth. He was called a Nazarene for his whole ministry. Christians were later called the sect of the Nazarenes in derision. And everyone would have perceived Joseph to be his father. That's the purpose that Joseph served. He provided Jesus with an earthly upbringing just as any good father would. But Nathaniel responds to this information with skepticism. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? In other words, what, this guy? The Nazarene? There's no way. He can't be the Messiah. Nothing good comes out of that place. It was offensive to Nathaniel to think that the Messiah could come from what was then a very hated town of Nazareth. But Philip's not letting Nathaniel go that easily. He's insisting. He says, Nathaniel, come and see Come and see. Come and see Jesus. And that's the core of the Christian message, isn't it? It's so easy to get caught up in all of these doctrinal debates on YouTube and Twitter over the age of the earth or Arminianism versus Calvinism or whatever else. And these things are important. They're very important. And it's good to be well-versed in those issues. But the end goal of our apologetics The end goal of our evangelism is exactly what Philip said to Nathaniel. Come and see 
Come and see Jesus. I'll say it again. The end goal of apologetics and evangelism is persuading others to come and see Jesus. Are you telling people that? Who are the people in your life who need to hear you say, we have found the Savior. Come and see. We have the best message in the world to tell people, don't we? And it's that Jesus has come to forgive all of your sins and give you life with God if you would place your full hope and trust in him. Do you believe that? Has that happened to you? Have you seen? Have you come to Jesus and seen with eyes of faith? Whether he knew it or not, that's what Philip was telling Nathaniel to do. You need to come see for yourself. This guy, Jesus, he deserves your full, undivided attention. Well, you'd think after Nathaniel's initial skepticism that Philip's efforts would be a bust, but no. Nathaniel listens to the testimony of his friend, just as Simon listened to Andrew, and just as Andrew listened to John the Baptist. So off he goes to find Jesus. He's going to do his own investigating. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said about him, Behold, truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. F.F. Bruce said, Honest inquiry is a sovereign cure for prejudice. This is an incredible compliment from Jesus about Nathanael. And it tells us a lot about Nathanael. For one thing, John is drawing a contrast between Nathanael and the Jewish authorities. Many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees had no interest whatsoever in honest inquiry about Jesus. They were deceitful in their questions, trying to trap Jesus in his words, trying to find ways to condemn him. There were exceptions. We'll meet Nicodemus in chapter 3, and then there's Joseph of Arimathea, of course. But it seems that the vast majority were intent on not believing Jesus, not even giving him a fair hearing. But that's not Nathaniel. Yes, to be sure, he was skeptical. He wasn't sure about Jesus. But he went to Jesus intending to give him an honest hearing to see if he indeed was worthy of belief. In our interactions with unbelievers, it's sometimes very easy to tell whether they're being genuinely curious about what it is that we believe. I have family members who start religious conversations for the pure reason of blasphemy. They just want to talk about God so that they can talk bad about God's name. But I've also met people who don't believe in Christianity. They don't believe in Jesus Christ. And yet they still show a respect and a genuine interest in what Christianity is. And these are great opportunities for the gospel to go out. Now, honest inquiry doesn't equal conversion. We have to be careful there. But it's much more profitable than deceit, dealing with a deceitful person. Yes, Nathaniel may have been prejudiced against Nazareth and a supposed Nazarene Messiah, but he wasn't going to close the book on it until he saw it for himself. Now look at verse 48. Nathaniel said to Jesus, from where do you know me? He's never met Jesus before. This is the first time he's seeing this guy. Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, 
When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now in any other circumstance, this would be super weird, right? Imagine if you were taking a walk in Bailey, Colorado, and someone you've never met says, Ah, Chris Rue, what a man of integrity. And so you, Chris, you say, Well, how do, do I know you? How do, we, how do we know each other? And this person says, When you were at your house with your wife and daughter, chopping some wood, I saw you. Your first reaction wouldn't be, hey, this must be the savior of the world. You'd be thinking, well, I need to get a restraining order against this guy. But this is different because Philip had just told Nathaniel that Jesus was the Messiah that the scriptures pointed to. And Jesus immediately proves that claim by demonstrating a supernatural knowledge not only of Nathaniel's character, but of specific details about his previous whereabouts, something he couldn't have known if he was just some guy. And look at the response, verse 49. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And just like that, all of Nathaniel's skepticism vanishes and gives way to faith. Philip was right. Jesus is the promised Messiah. And not only that, he's the Son of God. He's the King of Israel. This is the second time in John's Gospel where Jesus is called the Son of God. And it's the first time where he's called the King of Israel. But we have to be careful here because these titles meant something very different to Nathaniel than they do to us. Remember, Nathaniel is a good Jew. So when he calls Jesus Son of God, he's remembering Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. I will surely tell of the decree of Yahweh. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. So in Nathaniel's mind, he's linking Jesus with David because the Messiah was going to be a Davidic monarch. He was going to come from David's line. But he wasn't exactly thinking in the precise Christological categories that we are today. And then there's the other title, King of Israel. The Old Testament doesn't use it to refer to the Messiah. Twice it uses the title to refer to God, but every other time it refers to whoever was the king at the time. However, it was thought that the Messiah would be, indeed, Israel's king. In fact, a conquering king who would come to kick out the Romans and deliver the land back into the rightful hands of the people, people of Israel. And one commentator again points out that Nathaniel spoke better than he knew. He spoke better than he knew. He didn't have quite the f- a full understanding of Jesus' nature as the unique Son of God who existed in the beginning with God, as we saw at the beginning of John chapter 1. He didn't know that Jesus was the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He didn't know that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. But notice, Jesus doesn't rebuke Nathanael for an incomplete knowledge, and he doesn't correct Nathanael's imperfect understanding. Look at verse 50. Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. No, Nathanael is the first person said to be a believer 
in John's gospel. He believed that Jesus was the one the scriptures pointed to. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah. He had real faith in Christ, even though it was a weak faith, even though he didn't quite have full understanding. He believed based on a sign, Jesus' supernatural knowledge of him. He had come to Jesus, but he had not yet seen Jesus for who, who he truly was. That was still to come. It's like one of those old Polaroid photographs. You don't get the whole picture all at once. It has to develop over time. Like learning a new subject in school, philosophy, math, the sciences. Your grasp of it expands the more that you spend time with it, the more that you grapple with it. Nathaniel's belief was only the beginning of his understanding, not the end. Jesus was only just starting to reveal himself to these men. This is the beginning of his ministry. Before five minutes ago, they had no idea who this guy was. Augustine wrote these words. Understanding is the reward of faith. Therefore, do not seek to understand in order to believe, but believe so that you may understand. Discipleship is about pursuing a greater understanding of Jesus Christ as you follow him and as he reveals himself to you. If ever you think, if ever we think that we have arrived at full understanding, let the words of Jesus humble us. No, you will see greater things than these. And now for verse 51. This is one of the most fascinating verses in all of Scripture. I love this verse. And he, Jesus, said to him, Nathaniel, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened, and you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is a time for firsts. This is the first truly, truly statement of Jesus in John's Gospel. Whenever Jesus says this, it means everyone listen up because what I'm about to say is very, very important. It's also the first time where Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man. Now these words that Jesus speaks establish a connection between the story of Jacob, the patriarch, in the Old Testament, and this interaction with Nathanael. So we have to go to Genesis 28 for a second. In Genesis 28... Jacob is fleeing from his brother Esau after deceiving their father and stealing Esau's blessing. You remember the story. And one night he has a dream. And in this dream, what happens? Well, behold, a ladder stood on the earth with its top touching heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Sounds familiar. After this dream, God reaffirms the promise he made to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham to multiply his offspring and to give them the promised land of Canaan. So God reveals himself to the Israelite patriarch through this vision. That language of the heavens opening is revelatory language. This is God making himself known, disclosing himself. So, we go all the way back to John, thousands of years later, Jesus is essentially promising Nathanael further revelation of himself. Further, self-disclosure. When Jesus makes disciples, he reveals himself to them. 
But what kind of revelation is Jesus promising to give? And that's where the ladder comes in, Jacob's ladder. When Jacob woke from his dream, he said, Surely Yahweh is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid. and said, How fearsome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Fascinating language. Jacob was seeing heaven and earth being connected by this ladder. The realms above and the realms below became linked for just a few tantalizing moments in this dream. So again, we go back to John. Jesus identifies himself with this ladder. He calls himself Jacob's ladder. Jesus is the one, then, who connects the heavens and the earth. He's the one who bridges the gap between God and humanity. Jesus Christ is the gate to heaven. He is the Son of Man, whom the prophet Daniel spoke of, whose kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That's what Jesus is going to show his disciples through his ministry. That's what Jesus meant when he told Nathanael, you will see greater things than these. And Nathanael would indeed go on to see greater things. At the end of John, John chapter 21, Jesus appears to some of his disciples at the Sea of Galilee after his resurrection. And those disciples are Simon Peter, Thomas, the two sons of Zebedee, two other unnamed disciples, and who else but one Nathanael of Cana. So Nathanael, this guy who's virtually unknown everywhere else, is there at the beginning and at the end of Jesus' ministry. That means he heard Jesus' preaching. He saw Jesus' miracles. He heard directly from the Lord's mouth. Can you imagine? He's there. He's totally behind the scenes. These are the only two times we ever hear of him in all the Gospels. But he's walking with Jesus. He's learning from him. He would have heard of his rabbi's crucifixion. He may have been one of the disciples cowering in fear of the Romans during the three days that Jesus was in the tomb. But then he would have experienced the joys of hearing that his Savior had risen from the dead. And then, in John 21, he got to have a fish breakfast with him. How cool is that? I'd love to have a fish breakfast with Jesus. Nathaniel had the amazing privilege of seeing Jesus unite heaven and earth, holy God and sinful man. But we have to ask the question, how did Jesus do that? How did Jesus function as this ladder, this stairway to heaven, between these two realms that before could not be reconciled? Well, to start off, first of all, Jesus loved sinners. He loved you. Even when you didn't love him, he loved you while you were his enemy, while your sin was so vile in God's sight that he would have been just to punish you forever. And because of that great love, Jesus, who is truly God, took on your human nature 
The heavenly and the earthly were united in the person of Jesus Christ when he was conceived in Mary's womb. That's the first way. Secondly, he lived a life of perfect obedience to God because he had no sin. He fulfilled the law of God in your place as your representative. And as John says, he went to the cross as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And on that cross, Jesus once again acted as your representative when your sins were placed on him and the Father punished him for them instead of you. The wrath of God that was due to you was poured out on him, on Jesus Christ, in full measure. He drank down to the last drop. And by his death, you were reconciled, brought back together with God. Your sin, which once stood in the place, once stood in the way, excuse me, of that reconciliation, was placed on Jesus and removed. And then the righteousness of Jesus' perfect, sinless life was placed on you, undeserving, sinful you. The gate to heaven was flung open. By his death, Jesus bridged the gap between you and God so that there might be peace between you and him. That's the second way. Thirdly, Jesus didn't stay dead, but he rose again on the third day, defeating death, which also threatened to separate you from your creator. His resurrection secured your resurrection, my resurrection. And then after that, he ascended, and he continues to act as the link between you and God, acting as your mediator. You can stand boldly before the throne of God because you are in Christ. Do you believe that this evening? That you are in Christ? That you can go to God and be connected to God once again because of what Christ has done? And finally, fourthly, one day, Jesus is going to come back and he will unite heaven and earth once and for all when he cleanses creation of its remaining corruption and makes all things new. Once again, do you believe that this evening? Because this is only true for you personally if you have believed in Jesus Christ and placed your full trust in him. For those who may not believe, I want to repeat to you the pleading of the Apostle Philip. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see who? Come and see Jesus. Come and see the only one who can take away the dread of death. The only one who can forgive all your sins and who can make you right with your creator again. Come and see him. He has shown yourself to you, shown himself to you in his word this evening. Will you come to him? Well, perhaps you're sitting there saying, well, I do believe. I do believe. But I have weak faith. I don't fully understand what all of this means. Well, I have good news for you too. 
Because salvation doesn't come from strong faith. doesn't come from full understanding either. Nathaniel had neither, and yet Jesus calls him a believer. Salvation comes from Jesus Christ alone, by his grace alone, through faith alone in him. Jesus came to make you his disciple and to draw you into a greater understanding of himself as you walk with him, as you are discipled by him. And friends, we have an eternity to do that with Christ. Let's pray together. Father, these are powerful words from our Savior to Nathaniel. He promised Nathaniel that he would see the heavens opened and he would see heaven and earth connected where before they were totally separated. Lord Jesus Christ bridged an unbridgeable gap between us and you by going to the cross in our place, by taking our sin on himself. And Lord, we are so thankful for this truth. We are so thankful that we get to be in your presence, not only now, but also even more fully one day because of what Christ has done. Lord, may we place our full hope and trust in him. He is the only one who can bring us to you. We pray for all those who don't know him, Lord, that they would put their faith and trust in him as well as we have, that they would be reunited with their creator and experience the joy that that brings. We love you. We thank you for your word, and we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.